Good morning, everybody. Good to see y'all in this lovely air-conditioned Feasel Chapel. Amen. Whew, rough days out there, but uh, it's good to be in here. Good to see all of you. Good to be able to open up God's Word together. I'm Mark Finn. I'm the associate pastor here at First West. So if we haven't met yet, I hope you'll stick around for a minute at the end and let's say hello. Uh, we always invite folks at the end of the service right over here to this connect area and love to be able to do just that with you. Those of you that have been around a little while know that I've been around a little while, and uh, I appreciate y'all sticking in here and hearing me preach anyway. So good to see you. Um, we are working through, and this is the next to last Sunday in the Moses series, Basket to Casket, The Unsettled Life of Moses. And so next week is the big finale. And uh, so today we're going to be in Numbers chapter 20, and I'll go ahead and let you be turning in your Bibles there. And uh, just to update us, it's 38 years since last week's message. I mean, not, not in our time, in Bible time, 38 years. That's kind of where we were. Um, what is happening is that the Israelites have been wandering in the wilderness because of their refusal to take the promised land. Uh, after Moses had sent the spies in, sent 12 spies into the land, remember, 10 of them come back and say, no way, can't do it. Man, big old giants in that land, and it's just tough, and we don't want to do that. They were fearful. Joshua and Caleb said, man, that land is flowing with milk and honey, and there's grain and vines and figs and pomegranates, and man, we need to go and, and get with it. We can do it. And unfortunately, the people were swayed by the 10 spies rather than the two that saw what God could do. And uh, they got angry. They started griping again at Moses and Aaron, and uh, they refused to enter the promised land. So God said in Numbers chapter 14 that none of them were going to get to enter the promised land, that they were all going to die out there in the wilderness. Only Joshua and Caleb out of that group would be able to go into the promised land. So that's where we are. The Israelites have entered what's known as the wilderness of Zin. They settled in a place called Kadesh. And Miriam, Moses' sister, dies and is buried there. Now, remember the significance of Miriam. Man, from the very beginning, she helped to provide for the protection of Moses. Man, she represented the, the situation there, got, got him where his mama could, could, could nurture him and raise him while he was technically uh, uh, in, in Pharaoh's daughter's care. And so Miriam, throughout his life, I mean, it was, a, it was a key person. Miriam was also a big sister. And there was a time when, as a big sister, uh, she and Aaron, they, they had to get after Moses about a situation. And then they got their hands slapped by God because they, they had really uh, messed with God's prophet and God's anointed right there. But uh, obviously that didn't disqualify them. But you may, hey, listen, big brothers and sisters and, you know, family, we, we kind of have some stuff like that that happens and it, and it happened there. So Miriam is now buried. And this is where we pick up the story here in Numbers chapter 20, verse two. I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse two. This is, there was no water for the community, so they assembled against Moses and Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you led us up from Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's not a place of grain, figs, vines, and pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Time out. Sound familiar? Right. Rerun. Same, not, not, not the same story, but the same story. Over and over again, this was kind of the MO. Moving on, verse 6. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting. They fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, take the staff and assemble the community. 
You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock while they watch, and it will yield its water. You will bring out water for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? And then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff so that abundant water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land I've given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and he demonstrated his holiness to them. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you, Lord, that, that you don't hide the flaws of heroes of the faith, of, of key characters uh, in your redemption story, Lord. We get to see that they're imperfect. And God, I thank you that there are some lessons to be learned here. And I pray that as we open your word, we dive into it, we'll see the things that we should do and should not do so that we can bring you honor and glory with our lives. Thank you for the lesson from this, life, from, from this episode in the life of Moses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. As you're being seated, I imagine that like me, you feel maybe the heaviness and the pain that's represented in this situation here. This is Moses. M Moses is a big deal. He is God's man. And he is now, in spite of all the great things he had done, he's disqualified from entering into the promised land. And so today, the big idea that I want to communicate to you is this. Disobedience to God's commands carries serious consequences. Disobedience to God's commands carries serious consequences. I'd add a parenthesis there. No matter who you are, even Moses. So it's painful to read this, that they weren't going to get to enter the, the, the promised land. But while that's the case, and it feels heavy and weighty and kind of negative here, I want to remind you about a few things about Moses. He's a hero of the faith. A couple of things we know about him are really important to keep in mind. Um, in Hebrews chapter 11, there's a record of what's kind of, we call the kind of the hall of faith, the hall of fame of the faith there. And these different key people in the, in the life of God's interaction with his people that we read in the Bible, they're recorded in there based on their faith. We know that Moses is a man of faith. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We know that Moses exercise that kind of faith, that he was that kind of a man. Verses 23 through 29 talks about different parts of Moses' life from being hidden by his parents after he was born all the way through leading the Israelites across the Red Sea as being by faith, by faith, by faith. So Moses was a man of faith. We also know that he was a man of humility. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 says that Moses was a very humble man, more so than anyone on the face of the earth. I'm just going to let that rest for a minute right there. Out of all of the people on the face of the earth, I don't know how many that was then, but there's a lot of people in that number. Moses is regarded as the most humble man. Now, you don't go to his trophy case and see the big trophy for humility that he got. That would kind of defeat the point of, of humility, wouldn't it? That's not what it was. It wasn't his claiming that status. It was regarded, he was regarded by Almighty God 
as the most humble man. What an incredible thing to say about him. And yet, this most humble man on the face of the earth is, is experiencing some really negative consequences here as a result of his disobedience. And so, because of Moses' humility, Scripture tells us that God spoke directly to him rather than in visions and dreams like he had done with other prophets. Spoke to him. So just kind of think about that as we, as we regard his life. And again, I'll say this. And I've said it multiple times when I've preached here. One of the strong confirmations to me of the reliability of the Bible and the, the, the veracity of the faith of, of God is, and, and his people is that the Scripture does not shy away from the imperfections of the key characters in the faith. Those key people, it, it reveals them. God, remember, he didn't have any perfect people to work with, did he? Because of sin, there is imperfection. There weren't any perfect ones, but in spite of that, these ones that we considered to be in the Hall of Fame, they still weren't perfect, but the Scripture doesn't shy away from that and try to act like they were better than they were. First point here we see in this passage is that the lack of trust in God's provision. There's a lack of trust in God's provision. Verse 2, there's no water for the community. And that's water not having, that's a legitimate issue. I mean, along with food and air and shelter, water is one of the four necessities for, for human survival. So it was not unreasonable for them to want water. They needed water. We need water. That, that's something that had to happen. But what we see, sadly, is the repeat of a pattern that happened over and over and over again. When things did not go their way, when they didn't have what they needed or what they wanted at the moment that they wanted it, they would complain and they would argue specifically to Moses and Aaron. Moses is, is the leader. Aaron is the high priest and they, they're brothers. And, and the people are just ripping on them to the point that I think Moses, Moses feared for his life at a, at a point along the way there. Over and over again, on every issue, 40 years continually, griping, 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 all the way back from when they were in captivity to this point. So verses 3 through 5, I mean, get this. These people are quarreling with Moses, and they say, if, if only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. We'd rather have died back there. We'd rather have been buried in graves back in Egypt than be out here. Why have you brought us out here for us and our livestock? Why have you led us up from Egypt to bring us to, look at this, this evil place? They had been 400 years in slavery, back-breaking work that they had to do, making bricks for the Egyptians, but they're regarding this circumstance as being the evil place. What a complete loss of perspective and, and understanding and a short memory about how God had continually come through for them over and over again. And then they even say, it's not a place of grain, figs, vines, and pomegranates. No kidding. Those were the things that Joshua and Caleb come back, in fact, with some samples of from the promised land and said, hey, this is the good stuff that's waiting over there. But it was in the promised land. They weren't in the promised land, so of course they weren't getting all this good stuff, and it was their own fault. They should have been in the promised land already, but because of their rebellion and disobedience, they weren't. But that's just how messed up their thinking was on, on, the, on the whole issue. So Moses and Aaron go back to the Lord on behalf of the people. Now, just try to put yourself in Moses' shoes here. Scripture doesn't tell us exactly how he felt at that moment, but you can just imagine I mean, maybe he was embarrassed. You think to have to go back to God? I mean, how many times he had been before the Lord 
How many times the Lord had provided for the people? How many times the Lord had answered the prayer and just come through for them? And still, here they are again. So maybe he was a little bit embarrassed. Maybe he was just, just frustrated, overwhelmed, desperate, because Moses was thirsty too. I mean, they, they, were, they were all thirsty. What we know that Moses and Aaron did is that they fell face down before the Lord. Now, that is an act of humility. That's an act of submission. They are just laying out before the Lord. They're at the doorway of the tent of meeting where the presence of the Lord was. The glory of the Lord appears to them, and the Lord speaks to them. And he gives them some specific instructions. Take the staff. That's the symbol of the power of God in the hand of Moses. Okay, and, and assemble the community. So they, they recognize the staff and he gives specific instructions. You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock while they watch. It'll yield its water. You bring out water for them from the rock, provide drink for the community and their livestock. Now, that's the promise of a lot of water, a lot of water out of a rock. Remember, he didn't say go to the river where the water's flowing. Go to a rock. If I tell y'all, hey, folks, we're out here. I mean, it's 100-something degrees in Louisiana. We need some water. I'm just betting that, that your first move is not towards a rock to say, yeah, I'll, I'll go. That's not where you go. That, that's not what happens. Thousands of people and, and Bible scholars are not certain about the exact number. It ranges from somewhere in the 30,000 number over to over 600,000 or more. We're not 100% sure about that, but regardless, even if it was on the low end of 30,000, that's a whole lot of folks to get some water out of a rock along with all their livestock. It's miraculous any way you look at it. So miracles were, were, were things that God used to, to, to show his, his presence and his authority and that, that he could be counted on. So Moses takes the staff, says, from the Lord's presence. That's an interesting phrase right there just as he had commanded him. And think that it's probably Aaron's staff that had been in the tent of meeting there. And there's a, a, a great episode you can read up on earlier where that staff was special. It had budded um, and, and produced almonds out of a staff, a stick that had been cut from the ground. And so that's why there was a special measure of God's presence that was, that was kind of credited to that particular staff. And it was, it, it, again, it symbolized God's authority right there in front of the people. So he gets the staff, he assembles the people in front of the rock. So far, so good. And then Moses goes off script. Look what he does. Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? And then he raised his hand and he struck the rock twice with the staff. I'll pause right there. Moses, in this moment, his tone and his heart did not match the heart of God. Now think about it. God could have been hugely frustrated with the people. He could have even been angry about it. He could have given them a lesson right there, like he had had to do before. But in this moment, what we see is that God's heart is the heart of a father who loves his children, and his children are in need. They need water. And so God, as the father, is just going to provide the water for his children. That's what he's going to do. And rather than matching that tone and that posture of God, Moses goes off on the people. I mean, listen, you rebels. I'm just guessing. I mean, my Bible has an exclamation point. Does y'all right there? 
That's an indicator that he was fired up. Must, then he says, must we bring water out of this rock for you? So first of all, he said words that God did not tell him to say, which is a dangerous thing for anybody to do, certainly for a man of God to do. I'm going to tell you what, as your, your preaching team, those of us that are responsible for bringing the word before you, man, we pray. We get together. We, we agonize over scripture. We, we, we grind it out. We study hard to try to understand exactly what the Lord is trying to communicate to us through his word. And, and we do our very best to put it together and craft the, the, the points that are the key points that we talk about Sunday in and Sunday out. But please understand this, and I can, I'm telling you, the other guys feel the same way. And when I'm preaching, I promise you, I pray, Lord, if I say anything out of my mouth that is not what you would have me say, or it doesn't represent 100% accurately your heart on this issue, fix what I say before it hits their ears. That's the prayer all the time. And it has worked. It has. And I know it because of this. There have been times over my years of preaching when I have had some of you folks come up and say, Mark, man, I really appreciate what you said today when you said this. And I know good and well, I didn't say it. It wasn't in my notes. It wasn't in my heart. The Lord fixed what I said out loud before it hit your ears. And so I just take your word. I'm like, hey, God bless, you know, glory to God, you know, whatever. And conversely, by the way, there have been other days that I honestly, I felt like I think I captured that point really well. I think that the Lord gave me a good word on that. And, and I just felt so good about what I communicated crickets, nothing. I think that's just the Lord's way of saying, Hey man, it ain't about you. He's the one it's his word, period. Just, just to understand where we're at on that. Don't say something from the Lord. That's not from the Lord. And Moses was using his words, not God's words. And he was using his tone, not God's tone and heart in this situation. And that was a big problem right here. It was all about God receiving the glory cover to cover in scripture, beginning to end. The plan is a re- plan, God's redemptive story that ultimately will cause him to receive glory all along the way. The great episodes that we see of faith, the great stories that we love are all about God receiving his glory all the way to revelation. When we see that people from every tribe and language, people group are going to be before the throne, worshiping the Lord. And by the way, that's part of our responsibility. We are written into that story that we're supposed to tell the truth about Jesus. We're supposed to get it out there, go and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're called to do. So while we send folks to Germany and to Greece, and to Wales, and other places like that to make sure that those people hear the truth about Jesus because he deserves glory, and he can't get it. God can't get the glory that's rightfully due him unless people understand who Jesus is and have relationship with him through Jesus. That's the story. That's the plan. So understand, there is a big picture implication. This matters a whole lot. God provides for his people. In this moment, Moses is kind of like that ridiculous parent that most of us have probably seen at one time or another. Hopefully not been, but we've seen it. You ever been in a store at a ball game or something, and a parent is just ripping into their child, sometimes a, a small child. 
And, and I mean, just, just being unbelievably rude to them and mean and loud. It's like they're making sure that everybody in the store hears that I'm the one in charge and that four-year-old is not in charge. And so look at me. And let me just tell you, if, if of, out of all the things that could cause you as First West to think Mark might need some bail money in this situation, that right there would be one of the top few in the list right there. I don't know that I can keep my mouth shut and then I don't know that I can do it appropriately. You hear what I'm saying? Ridiculous that, that people would respond that way. Ridiculous that Moses, even though, I mean, with his great track record in just a fit of losing it, just goes off in a situation where that was not called for. Un, obviously rooted in some kind of an unhealthy mindset. Well, folks, you don't get a free pass because you're aggravated. We don't get a free pass to do whatever we want and violate what God has said to do. We don't get it. We don't get to the, use the excuse, but, but they made me, but they did, did, did this, 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 and that's why. No, you don't get to, man, some of us in my generation, a little bit older, you younger folks probably don't know, but that old character, Flip Wilson, who made him do it? The devil made me do it. That, and that was, it, was a, it was a fun comedy skit, but when we start trying to blame everything out there. No, don't do things that are outside of what God's called you to do. You don't get to do that. doesn't matter what your track record with the Lord looks like. So whatever motivated Moses to respond in such a way, it was inappropriate. And the thing that he did was inappropriate. And the idea that what he said was, hey, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Like it was he and Aaron that were the water providers. Boy, that's dangerous. When you start trying to take credit for what God has done, you are in dangerous territory right there. Now, God still came through. He still provided the water. Why? He's a loving father. His children needed water. They needed an abundance of water, and he took care of it. But there was a consequence. The Lord said to Moses in verse 12 and Aaron, because you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land that I've given them. Now you think about that. God's work with his people, God's covenant agreement from Genesis chapter 12 with, with God, between God and Abraham on to Isaac in Genesis 26 and then Jacob in Genesis 28 and 35 and 48, and then the nation of Israel throughout Exodus, multiple places here, and then on in Deuteronomy. Over and over again, key part of that covenant is that there is a land, that there is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a promised land. That's why it's called that. There is a place of refuge that God's providing for his people, and Moses is the steward of the leadership of God's people to get them to this place and now he is disqualified from doing that because of this act. That's painful. When you say, Mark, that's kind of harsh. I mean, you know, you know, God had, yeah, he has a perfect track record, but Moses had a pretty good track record too. He had been really faithful all along the way. And man, doesn't it seem like a little overbearing for God to do this? Well, he, here's, here's the problem. Is that God's standard is not pretty good. Not, not, God's standard is not mostly obedient. God's standard is perfection. Now, that's, that sounds heavy, but it is. And Scripture says that none of us are perfect, 
that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so there has to be something that, that, that makes that up. And so God, because of his character as being true and honest and just, God had to respond in a way that was consistent with his character. We've all seen examples. Maybe you've heard if you follow sports and there are other examples out there, maybe the business world or what have you, where a star athlete violates team rules. And that coach has to make an important decision about that situation. That coach's job is on the line based on the performance of his team and in, in, in whatever respective game they're playing in. It, it could cause them some real problems if, if they don't win the game. But you've got a star athlete that's violated the rules of the team and the consequences have been established out there. Well, what does it say to the rest of the team, other players or even bench warmers, would have, if that player gets a free pass on that, what does it say about that coach? Well, one, you can't trust him, that his character is not good. And then it just paves the way for chaos. Well, if he's not going to have to pay that kind of price, well, then we don't either. So anybody, anything goes at that point. No, that's not the heart of God. God took his star player, and there was a consequence for him and his brother that was heavy and painful and God had to do that. Moses and Aaron had to experience the consequences of their disobedience in spite of their standing with God and their positions of leadership and impact and influence. God is God. Now, briefly, I'll just mention to you, after this part, from between verses 14 and 21, kind of the second point today, and we don't have time to, to dive into this, is kind of maybe a little bit of a lack of belief in, in God's protection and uh, again, don't have time to analyze this greatly, but bottom line, Moses is sending uh, representative messengers uh, from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Edom, the descendants of Edom, uh, or the people of Edom are the descendants of Esau. Now think about that. Esau, brother of Jacob, contention there, right? I mean, Jacob is the one that got the birthright from Esau, kind of underhandedly pulled that, that off. So they're this group of people that are descendants. I mean, the Israelites are, you know, they, they've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but then the Edomites, they're from Esau's line. I don't know if that had something to do with the attitude that comes out in this, but Moses sends uh, these representatives and tells them basically to go to the king there. And, and I'm just going to summarize real quickly, beg, basically make your case and whine to them about the things that have happened to us, but we need to pass through your land. They just put themselves out there like that. And the, the king said, um, you're not traveling through our land. No. And, and he said, but well, hey, we'll go on the main road. We won't do anything. No, you're not going to go on the main road. And so they had to back off and had to go around. I just offer this to you. How many times do we maybe get off, take off without God's specific direction, without God's specific game plan, without taking the time to hear him and hear the why and what, what he really has in mind for us. And we just go, man, you listen to the Lord. Follow his leadership. Walk in the light that he gives you and trust his protection. They did not need the protection of the Edomites. They needed God's protection. And so do we. The third thing we'll see, and this kind of covers the, the last portion of chapter 20, verses 22 through 29 is this, the lack of obedience to God's plan. The lack of obedience. Because of their lack of obedience, the penalty was severe. In this case, it was the physical death of Aaron. 
the high priest of Israel. He's dying short of the promised land. So Moses, Lord, the Lord sends Moses and Aaron, uh, tells him to go up on Mount Hor. Um, Aaron says in verse 24, will be gathered to his people. That's a euphemism for he is going to die. And he'll not enter the land I've given the Israelites. And so he just reminds them of that, that consequence. Take Aaron and his son Eliezer, bring him up on Mount Hor, remove Aaron's garments, place him on his son. Aaron will be gathered to his people. He'll die there. So Moses did what was commanded. He took the high priestly garments off of Aaron, puts them onto Eliezer, who is going to take his place in that role there. And then Aaron dies on the mountain. Moses and Eliezer come down. Now, the people knew that three had gone up, two come down. Uh-oh, Mo, Aaron's not coming down. He's gone. And so the whole community sees that, and they mourn for him. Um, Aaron was still loved by God and the people. They mourned his death. But we see that he and Moses, in spite of their track record, they weren't immune to the consequences of their disobedience. So he, Moses knows at this point, hey, Aaron died right here, but I'm not going to make it in there either. But God still had a plan to use Moses. He was still in the game. Folks, the failure to trust in God's plan, to try to do something of our own volition, in our own way, in our own will, leads to death. In the New Testament, Paul writes to the Romans, and he says that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus, there is a price to be paid for our sin. So the question I have for us today is, do you think that you have a better plan than God does? First of all, about your eternal life, about your salvation, do you think you have a better plan than God does? I bring it up because of this. When we go, well, not just to other places, I mean, even in, in the community and the, the society we live in today, when you talk to folks that are maybe not church folks, and may, actually maybe some church folks that have not been grounded well in the Bible, and ask them, hey, what, what do you think that it, that it takes to be right with God? What do you think it takes to go to heaven? Unfortunately, a large percentage of the time, it sounds something like this. Well, I'm going to do enough good stuff, and I know I'm not, I know I'm not perfect, but my good stuff is going to outweigh the bad stuff and if God is a just and fair God, like we know he is, right, then the good stuff is going to outweigh the bad stuff, and I get in. Totally logical. Makes perfect sense. If it was up to us to come up with a game plan, ours would probably look something like that. The problem is that it's completely not God's plan. What does it take to be in the presence of God? Perfection. Okay, all the perfect people stand up on the count of three. One, two, three. Right. None of us. Paul also said that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's something that's common to everybody. So the only hope that we have is represented in Jesus. So there's these God's commands. When we disobey them, they carry serious consequences. Doesn't matter who you are. Moses still has a call on his life to lead. So there has to be something that's going on here. I want to remind you that the Old Testament focuses on a land and a covenant people. The New Testament focuses on God's concern for all humans made in his image and likeness. 
That call of Abraham was the first step in that call that would eventually be for everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus. John chapter 1 says that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. There's nobody that Jesus does not want to save. There's nobody that I can find that that God doesn't want to wrap up in love. That's what he's done. That's why Jesus paid the price. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, he refers to what happens to their ancestors in this account. Paul says this, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. Remember, the manna and the quail provided for them. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. 